0: Hello and welcome to The Top Story, a podcast with the headlines of the day from our correspondents around the world. I'm Tianlu, coming up in this edition. South Korean President Yong Suk-yoo says the government will not compromise on the stand on medical reforms as around 9,000 trainee doctors continue their strike. Japan is again releasing treated nuclear-contaminated wastewater from the crippled Fukushima power plant. The plant's operator says they will dump about 7,800 tons into the Pacific over the next two weeks. And US President Joe Biden has met the top four congressional leaders at the White House, and they scrambled to send military aid to foreign allies and avert a partial government shutdown at the end of the week. We'll start with Asia. South Korean President Yong Suk-yoo says the government will not compromise on its stand on medical reforms. Meanwhile, South Korean nurses have been given legal protection to perform some medical procedures normally conducted by doctors. This comes as about 9,000 trainee doctors have skipped work for eight consecutive days in protest of a government plan to increase the number of medical students. Soo Min-yoo reports from Seoul.
1: Interns and resident doctors in South Korea have persisted in their strike, protesting against a proposed increase in medical school admissions. The South Korean government has issued an ultimatum cautioning that it may suspend the licenses of trainee doctors starting next month unless they resume their
2: duties. The government is issuing a final appeal, acknowledging the gravity of the current situation. We will not hold trainee doctors accountable if they return to work by Thursday the 29th.
1: The presidential office also reaffirmed on Sunday that it still believes 2,000 additional medical school students are necessary to address the doctor shortage. They firmly rejected the idea of reducing the quota in response to doctor's requests. While the government has issued an ultimatum to the striking trainee doctors, the medical community is not backing down from defending their rights. The Korean Doctors' Association, having marched in front of the presidential office on Sunday, vowed to resist until the very end, using any means necessary if the government proceeds with the plan. It also conducts regular briefings to keep updated on their stance.
3: Had the government prioritized dialogue over populist policies, the current crisis could have been averted. Now the task of managing medical institutions is at stake.
1: Zhu also criticized the second Vice Health Minister Pang min sus warning of suspending doctors' licenses for a minimum of three months and emphasized that the suspension of medical license could have repercussions for doctors' future practices and for those seeking to work overseas.
3: If medical licenses are suspended and legal proceedings initiated, it would sever all pathways for doctors to return to hospitals. The consequence could be the catastrophic collapse of the entire Korean healthcare system.
1: The medical community's argument extends beyond concerns about the medical education quality. They also highlight potential surges in medical costs and the burden passed on to future generations. Even full-time doctors whose contract ends this week has hinted at participating in collective action. This means the next few days will be the cornerstone of this medical vacuum. In line with this, the Korea Medical Association plans a large-scale rally in Yeoido on March 3rd, uniting doctors from across the country. Despite the government's firm position, their urgent plea remains unchanged an immediate cessation of the nationwide expansion of medical school admissions unfortunately
0: though the current standoff shows no signs of abating i was zooming you on the doctors protest in south korea Elsewhere, Japan is again releasing treated nuclear-contaminated wastewater from the crippled Fukushima power plant. The plant's operator, Tokyo Electric Power Company, says they will dump about 7,800 tons into the Pacific over the next two weeks. Here's Chris Gilbert in Tokyo.
3: Well, the past discharges have been largely the same as this about 7,800 tonnes of water being released. It's going to take about 17 days, just like previous discharges. There is one point of difference, though, that should be mentioned, is that unlike the previous three discharges, uh, TEPCO is not going to do a final check for tritium, that's the radionuclide that uh, cannot be extracted from the water, so it's diluted with about a thousand times as much seawater. Usually they put all that mixture in tank right before it's discharged, they test it for tritium, and then they release it into the ocean if they're satisfied that the water is safe. They're not going to do that anymore. They're going to test it as it is being released every day, a sample of that released water. They're also going to sample uh, the the seawater about three kilometers offshore from the plant every day during the 17 days and for a week after the discharge finishes after that. Now in terms of public reaction, here people in Tokyo uh, are really going about their everyday lives. It's a much different world about, you know, 100 or so kilometers up the coast in Tohoku where I was a week or two ago people there say that they are uh, having to live alongside this ongoing cleanup, this ongoing disaster, that they have to uh, consolidate their lack of trust with TEPCO with the reality that they kind of have to trust the reassurances of TEPCO because it's their home. It's where they live and they're not leaving. And so it is kind of a weariness that people are expressing up there, uh, a hope that their lives can improve, but also, uh, you know, a concern they had to pass this on to future generations.
0: That was Chris Gilbert on Japan's latest discharge of nuclear wastewater into the ocean. In the Middle East, there is cautious optimism about a ceasefire in Gaza after U.S. President Joe Biden said a ceasefire deal is closed. But officials from Israel, Hamas and Qatar suggest differences still remain and may prevent inking an agreement. David Biller with the Associated Press has more from Jerusalem.
4: We did have some optimistic comments coming from President Biden. He said on Monday, first of all, that Israel had agreed to suspend hostilities in Gaza during the month of Ramadan, which is going to start around March 10th. He also said in separate comments that he was hopeful a deal could be reached even by next week. At the same time, Qatar's foreign ministry's spokesperson said he was also uh, optimistic for a deal. Now, Despite these comments, both Israel and Hamas came out and threw a bit of cold water on on that positivity. Uh, Israel said that Biden's remarks came as a surprise and definitely were not coordinated. Uh, A Hamas official said that it is not softening in its demands at all. And we know from Prime Minister Netanyahu's comments that those demands are what are preventing Israel from signing on to a deal. This deal that they're just dis- reportedly discussing, according to an Egyptian official involved in mediations, uh, would be the exchange of 40 hostages in Gaza for 300 Palestinian prisoners, as well as a six-week ceasefire, during which time much-needed aid trucks could get to residents. You know, we- we've seen a lot of trouble getting aid into Gaza. People are really struggling there, and the situation just grows more and more dire. The number of trucks getting in there has dropped both the UN and Oxfam have been warning of the consequences potential famine people dying of starvation or malnutrition dehydration you know what we saw these airdrops from Jordan United Arab Emirates France and Egypt it's not enough for the more than a million people who are in Rafah and other cities as well but it reflects the desperation both of the people on the ground who aren't getting enough food to eat as well as the concern of the international community about what this growing crisis is going to look like.
0: That was David Biller reporting from Jerusalem. Meanwhile, Israelis have voted in twice postponed municipal elections which could offer a gauge of public sentiment on their country's military operations in Gaza. Sarah Coates has more from Tel Aviv.
5: What they could really do here is reflect public sentiment on the way that the government is running, the way that the country, I should say, is running. And what we do need to take note of is when these polling booths were open, there were a number of major cities where there were very far right wing candidates and also very religious candidates going up against more conservative or I should say uh, liberal candidates and also opponents to Netanyahu, people that have voiced criticism against the Prime Minister. So these are some of the things that we'll be looking at when the results do come out. There was also a notable absence. And that was Netanyahu himself. Normally he's pretty active in these sort of things, even if they are local elections. Another thing that was quite important was that they were held during wartime. What we've been hearing from the ruling Likud party is uh, about these calls for Netanyahu to step down. The Likud has been saying, no way, elections should never be held during wartime. All it would do would be hurt the country. But having these local elections actually does go to show that it can happen, so we can expect Expect Results, probably nothing too significant there for the Prime Minister, but as I said, it will potentially reflect public sentiment on a number of very sort of grassroots issues.
0: Now, Sarah Coates reporting from Tel Aviv. In the United States, President Joe Biden has met the top four congressional leaders at the White House at the scramble to send military aid to foreign allies and avert a partial government shutdown at the end of the week. Leaders left the meeting in agreement that Congress should avoid a shutdown, but they appeared to remain divided on the funding to Ukraine and migrant issues. Nick Harper has more from Washington.
2: Well, there were some positive words coming out of the back of this meeting. Optimism. Optimistic. Those were the words that both Democrats and Republicans were using. The hope is that they will be able to get a deal done to keep the government funded before the deadline of midnight on Friday. If they don't achieve that, come Saturday, about 25% of the US government will no longer have funding to keep it going. Departments like Transport Department, the Energy Department, they will no longer be funded, their workers... The will be working for free. Now, the hope is that they will be able to get this through, but there is a small group on the right of the Republican Party who are making some extreme demands. They want huge spending cuts. They want the Homeland Security Secretary's salary slashed to zero. They want the Biden administration to do away with a whole host of its climate agenda initiatives. Those are things that just don't have broad appeal and are unlikely to sway enough lawmakers to allow this to happen before the funding deadline passes. So there is a real fear that the government partial shutdown will happen as of Saturday morning, even though there is optimism on both sides that a deal could be done. The White House meeting also included a second uh, notice of agenda. This was the $95 billion defence spending package, getting new money to Ukraine to help it in its fight against Russia, new money to Israel to help it in its fight against Hamas. This is a bill that's already been passed by the Senate, but it hasn't yet been approved by the House of Representatives. The reason being, House Speaker Mike Johnson doesn't want to bring it to the floor of the House for a full vote because he doesn't think that Ukraine should get any more money. He's being pressurised by the former President Donald Trump, who's really saying that that money should be spent on other things like border security, the US border with Mexico, rather than continuing to fund this foreign conflict.
0: That was Nick Hepper in Washington. Recapping today's headlines, South Korean President Yong-suk-yoo says the government will not compromise on the stand on medical reforms as around 9,000 trainee doctors continue their strike. Japan is again releasing treated nuclear-contaminated wastewater from the crippled Fukushima power plant. The plant's operator says they will dump about 7,800 tons into the Pacific over the next two weeks. And US President Joe Biden has met the top four congressional leaders at the White House, and they scramble to send military aid to foreign allies and avert a partial government shutdown at the end of the week. That's it for this edition of The Top Story, a podcast that brings you world headlines every weekday. For more news in politics, business, sports and culture, you can subscribe to the Beijing Hour, a one-hour podcast news magazine program. We welcome and appreciate all ratings and reviews. I'm Tianlu, thank you for listening.